From South Carolina Public Radio, this is the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on May 19th, 2023 from South Carolina Public Radio Studios here in Columbia. Just so you know, some information in this podcast may have changed by the time you've heard it. But what hasn't changed is we are a belated happy birthday for Meg Kennard, friend of the pod, and Nick Jackson, my brother, who did not get this podcast from our father. I'm the true Nippo baby here. Never mind that, but this episode features a deep dive on the more than 24 hours of debate this week in the South Carolina House of Representatives over the six-week abortion ban bill that now gets closer to the governor's desk since the House approved it and sent it back to the Senate. We go deep on the House debate and its Senate future. Of course, the lead loves hearing from y'all. That's why we have a voicemail box set up at 803-563-7169 that you can call anytime, day or night, 24-7-365 to tell us what you're thinking about. This is like Miss Cleo, but without us telling you how to feel until a couple weeks later. Okay? So just treat it like that. If you have any questions that you need us to answer, if we need to look into our crystal balls, we can do that. 803-563-7169. It was another busy week in South Carolina politics, with the House of Representatives passing the Senate-approved six-week abortion ban bill after a marathon debate of more than 24 hours during a special session called by the governor just days before, following the end of the 2023 legislative session. Did you get all that? Now, I want you to remember that this six-week bill passed the Senate early in the session because it had primarily been crafted in the off-season when it was clear that it was as far as the Republican-controlled chamber was able to support. The bill, S-474, passed the Senate 28-12 to in early February. One Republican and five Democratic senators were absent for that vote. Also, Republican Senators Tom Davis, Henry Gustafson, Greg Hembree, Luke Rankin, and Katrina Schilly supported the measure. They were the same Republicans who went on later to vote against the near-total abortion ban bill later in the session. Now, will they vote with the House changes and support the measure again? Well, we'll look at that later. So, the Senate sent S-474 to the House on February 14th, where it sat and never had a subcommittee or committee hearing until May 9th, after it was clear that the Senate was again unable to support the House's near-total-term abortion ban bill. S-474 cleared the committee and was put on the calendar for Tuesday, May 16th. The next day, May 10th, Eight women in the House Democratic Caucus walked into the House chamber with boxes of amendments, totaling nearly 1,000, to file with the clerk of the House. Then on Thursday, sine die, House Republicans voted to invoke cloture on the bill, which means no more amendments could be filed on a bill beyond those that had already been filed. Cloture also restricts debate on amendments to up to three minutes for and up to three minutes against each one. And once those are exhausted, there is up to one hour for and one hour against the bill before the final vote. Since the General Assembly adjourned the 2023 legislative session without a sine-die resolution, which dictates what they can do in the offseason, the governor on Friday, May 12th, ordered them to return to take up the abortion bill, among other things. So just before 1 p.m. on May 16th, the House began debate on the six-week ban, and it didn't stop for nearly 13 hours. Now, early in the debate, more, shall we say, serious amendments would be introduced and voted upon, giving Democrats a foundation to draw from, as well as ammunition when later discussing some of the nearly 1,000 amendments that they had introduced. 
Some of those early amendments including putting the measure on the ballot, moving the six-week ban to 12 or 20 weeks where it currently is. Other amendments included creating a fund to cover the cost of all prenatal care for women seeking but denied an abortion and requiring private health insurance to cover all costs to have the unwanted pregnancy. Here's Orangeburg Representative Gilda Cobb-Hunter speaking about a constitutional referendum that would let voters decide whether Article 1, Section 10 of the Constitution includes a woman's right to privacy to have an abortion. My question to Republicans in here is, what are y'all afraid of? Why won't you allow the voters to tell you what you claim from this well and from that board that they believe? I would suggest to you that if you found the courage to put this question to the voters, what you will find or would find is the same thing that the ruby red state of Kansas found and that is, in a very Republican-controlled state legislature, the voters have a different matter. What this amendment does is say Republicans, leadership and otherwise, Freedom Caucus, any caucus, all of y'all, if what you have said from this podium is true, if, as you have claimed, you are representing the majority of the voters in South Carolina, okay, we believe you. So let the voters tell us that what you say from this well is indeed what they believe. One Republican amendment, sponsored by Spartanburg's Rob Harris, would have defined life as beginning at conception, or personhood, and would make it a homicide to have an abortion. Staunch anti-abortion advocate Greenwood Republican John McCravey spoke against that amendment. Human life deserves equal protection. It does. And I, I certainly agree with that 100 percent. But, but if we establish this as the law, I think it would be going too far uh, to prosecute women in that, in that, that sense. You know, we, in, the, in the bill that we're, we have before us, uh, women are not prosecuted. They're not even prosecuted for a misdemeanor because they have to live with that decision the rest of their life. So we heard from some of those women too, and they were, they were regretting what they did many years ago. Some of them were talked into it by a brother. Some of them were talked into it by a mother. Some of them were drugged down there with their, with their, by their boyfriend, and they're victims too. So. We believe that a lot of these women are victims and that we don't need to punish them further for what they've been through. And freshman Heather Bauer rattled off a running total of taxpayer costs for previous abortion litigation the state has been party to over the years, from special sessions and overtime pay for debating the issue to injunctions and legal costs fighting the final product in courts. The total cost, according to Bauer, is roughly shy of $1.2 million. Here's Bauer, and then you also hear Spartanburg Republican Josiah Magnuson offering his take on the matter. As we talk minute by minute, we are just ticking up, ticking up the numbers. So while we have schools that aren't fully funded, we have counties that don't have OBGYNs or hospitals, we have roads in my district that are falling apart, bridges that are falling apart. Um, I have folks President in my Miles district who have three minutes. So two things. First of all, the cost of a human life, the price of a human life, you can't put a number. The price of a human life is priceless. Secondly, my question is, is the intent of these amendments to waste taxpayer dollars? Because that's what I think is really going on here. 
950 and some odd frivolous amendments, wasting everybody's time and everybody's money. So yes, Mr. Speaker, if we pass this amendment and all of the other Democratic amendments, then maybe the intent of the bill is to waste taxpayer dollars. Besides cost and access, the time frame for a woman to know they're pregnant and to act was a routine concern. Abortion advocates say having to make two appointments at one of the three clinics across the state can be complicated by wait times in transportation. Here's Folly Beach Democrat Representative Spencer Wetmore. So let's talk about what we're asking a young girl to do before she becomes six weeks pregnant or 12 weeks pregnant to take, exception of, or to take advantage of one of the exceptions. We're asking her to know that she's pregnant. So for those of you who don't know, you have your period every four weeks if you're on a regular cycle, but probably if you're young, more likely irregularly. You might have it once every couple of months. And so if you're not trying to get pregnant and tracking your cycles, what you're asking a young woman to do is know that she's pregnant. Maybe she's been the victim of abuse or assault. You're asking her to know that she has been the, not only the victim of a crime, but is now carrying, is now, at this, at this stage it would actually be a zygote, uh, is now carrying this, is now carrying what will hopefully by this point become a fetus. Uh, you're asking her to then rely on her family to get her to the doctor. You're asking her to come up with the money to get a procedure. You're asking her to have transportation to go once, and then again, you're asking her to make sure that she has access to health care. All of that you're asking her to get together within maybe a few weeks of learning that she was pregnant. I believe she needs more time, and I believe that this is a very narrow amendment only offering if she goes to a judge to demonstrate the need that she be allowed to obtain this procedure Ms. up Lay, to 20 weeks. Columbia Republican Ashley Trantham shared her story of pregnancy and said doctors aren't always correct when it comes to diagnosing conditions in vitro. An exception in this bill allows for abortions if a fatal fetal anomaly is detected or to save the life and health of the mother. But Down syndrome would not be covered as a reason under this bill. Here's Trantham's story. Just wanted to share with you that doctors are not always right. And I'm an example of that. Most of you know that I have a beautiful daughter, Bryce. When I was pregnant with her, the doctor called us in and said that there had been some test results come back and that it looked like she had a very high chance of being Down syndrome and there were some other issues. That my husband and I needed to make a decision whether or not we wanted to go ahead and terminate the pregnancy or go through with it. Obviously, we went through with it. There's absolutely nothing wrong with Bryce and I'm so glad that we didn't let that comment from the doctor encourage us to end that life before she ever had a chance to take her first breath. In an odd appeal to the chamber and his fellow Democrats, Columbia Representative Chris Hart said the Democratic women leading the fight with their amendments tactic was, in short, a waste of time as the outcome was already known. Now, he wasn't alone in that opinion. Some privately mentioned this to me, but said it was the Democratic women leading this fight and they let them do it regardless of any fallout. But here's part of Hart's rant. You can't stop this process. This is like a freight train. And what are we trying to do as Democrats? Put a Toyota Prius in front of that freight train. What happens? It's catastrophic. It's gonna happen anyway, no matter what happens. 
what are we doing? I asked one of my colleagues, I went up to him, I said, would you put an ashtray on a moped? And he thought, I said, well, no. And I said, why? He said, well, it's pointless. That's my point about this process with a thousand amendments. It's pointless. Let's pack up. Let's go. It's going to happen. We got to play a long game, not a short game. Republicans are playing chess. Democrats are playing checkers. Eventually, Republicans started asking the speaker to rule on amendments they found dilatory or not related to the bill. This beginning a slow trickle of removing amendments despite pleas from Democrats that their amendments were all relevant. And then around 1.30 in the morning on Wednesday, the abortion debate broke the internet. <laughs> er, well, maybe not the internet, but the House computer system allegedly went down, and for the first time all day, we heard a motion to proceed that was approved. Here's Acting Speaker Bruce Bannister. I said so the computers are down. They're trying to reboot them now. Um, Mr. Hyatt moves that we recede until 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. All those in favor say aye. This morning, I'm sorry, This we are this morning. So 10 o'clock today, a.m., 10 o'clock this morning. Um, all those in favor say aye. Opposed? No. The ayes have it. See y'all at 10 o'clock. That's right. An eight-hour reprieve magically saved everyone's sanity before lawmakers returned Wednesday morning at 10. Following a string of stand-ins on the day as Tuesday, Speaker Merle Smith was back and in charge of the chamber Wednesday after battling a stomach bug the day before. Smith said he got into the office early to read through amendments in preparation for Democratic challenges from Republicans' motions to rule hundreds of the remaining amendments dilatory under House rules, which all members vote on at the beginning of the two-year session. And while it took a while for us to get to another contentious point, it happened. Challenges stacked up and amendments were thrown out, even though Democrats knew those amendments wouldn't have passed and only served as a way to message voters, as well as to make the process as uncomfortable as possible by having votes nearly every five minutes on amendments. Unlike the Senate, which can filibuster, which not only slows down a bill but can actually kill legislation, House members have their amendments process, and that's about it. But eventually, some of those amendments were found dilatory and frankly downright, quote, absurd, quote. Here's House Speaker Merle Smith. So let me say this, uh, is, is, you know, that some of these amendments I've looked are frivolous and absurd. Uh, just, I'm going to point out to this, add all abortions banned if a heartbeat can be detected. New state motto, y'all's means all. We have welcome to South Carolina signs that South Carolina does not support women's rights as you enter our state. We have driver's license messages that says South Carolina does not support women's rights. Abortion is illegal here. We want signs on buildings saying that we don't support women's rights. We required each person in this state to read The Handmaid's Tale. We're having male masturbation being declared illegal. And we're having menstrual cycles reported to DHEC. I find those are frivolous and absurd, but I'm going to withhold reading this. I, I do find it compelling that members ought to be able to see these. And if they want to make some arguments, they can. But I am not going to entertain arguments on some of those absurd amendments that, have already, that I've just referenced here. And that does not do justice to this institution to make those amendments. So we will, I will, post, I will uh, take this under advisement. Uh, Mr. Ott, you have designated yourself as the member who will get a list of these amendments. And they're summarized. And you can go pull them from there and determine which ones you want to argue aren't frivolous or absurd. 
As the day went on, some people, like Representative Beth Bernstein, used some of their time to hop on a cable news show for a segment with Jake Tapper. Um, unfortunately, we are de- delaying the inevitable, but I think what's important is we're becoming, we are a voice for so many women in this state who don't want this, who want abortion access and who do not want the state to regulate um, these issues. They, The polling is clear that most South Carolinians, more than 78 percent, want abortion access. So it's unfortunate. And the reason these amendments are being filed is so we can have that voice and so people can understand what we're doing at the state house is we're effectively banning abortion. And I should note that this same bill, the six-week abortion ban bill that was passed in this legislature last year was deemed by the state Supreme Court as violating the um, privacy rights that are guaranteed under our state constitution. And that was just decided in January. And now we are coming back to debate this bill. Bernstein was on the same show with First District Congresswoman Nancy Mace, who had a message for her former House colleagues. We suffered in 2022, and I do believe we'll suffer in 2024 if we don't have a message that shows compassion to women, both for women's rights and the right to life. You can balance the two. I would garner that if you were to do a ballot referendum on abortion in a conservative state like South Carolina, the majority of voters would not be supportive of a six-week ban that allowed very few exceptions for a very short period of time and required women to have their rapes reported to police. That's really not going to fly with most people, whether they're men or women. I saw this in my own district, in a very purple district last year. I saw how the issue swayed voters. It was the number two issue in our race. Toward the end, Democrats stopped calling for roll call votes on amendments, and eventually they were either all voted down or ruled out of order, leading to the final arguments for and against the bill, which led to some interesting statements. Take, for example, this from Hampton Republican Bill Hager, who was in support of the bill. Ladies, we're not trying to tell you what you can do with your bodies. We're trying to tell you what you can't do to our unborn baby's body. The way I see it, we have, by the time we get to the point where we need an abortion, we've already made two other decisions with our bodies. We've known a man biblically. We've done it without contraception. And yes, contraception fails. So when it does, anytime you know a man, you're taking a chance that you're going to get pregnant. So we've already made two poor decisions. And the third decision we're about to make is to kill a child. So think about that when we're talking about rights of women and their bodies, that you've already made a couple of decisions, and now you're going to make a really bad one. And just to clarify the language here, no babies currently are aborted under South Carolina's law, which goes up to 22 weeks of gestation. Rarely do elective abortions occur after 15 weeks in our state, at which point it is still a fetus, and prior to that, it is an embryo, which forms after a zygote. So no babies there. Now, one of the few white male Democrats, Representative Russell Ott, who previously supported this measure, explained why he would be voting against it this time around. I did that because I felt like it was the right thing to do, absolutely. I also did it because the courts had not ruled yet. Supreme Court had not addressed the issue. Um, so even though I knew it was a dramatic and radical jump from where we were at 21 down to six, to me, you know, I said, I'm going to go with it. 
Well, we all know what the outcome of that was. That decision, that legislation was found to be unconstitutional. As an elected member who takes my oath to this state and to my constituents very seriously, I cannot turn my back on that ruling. I cannot do that, nor do I think that you should either. And that's why today I stand in opposition to a bill that has been crafted more restrictively than the one that just four to five short months ago was found to be unconstitutional. I do not believe that by changing a few words around magically makes it so. Several Republican women gathered in support of one another as they spoke in favor of the bill, including Aiken's Melissa Arimus, who at 16 had her first child. Just like mine, my life was not easier, way hard. Going to school with a child, working 40 hours a week, raising her. Yeah, my life really sucked, especially my dating life. It was horrible. No man wanted a, a girl that had a kid. Oh, she's got to get a babysitter. But it didn't matter. Every person knows right from wrong. Oh, she doesn't know how to be a mom. She's 16. God gave me those maternal instincts, no matter how old I was. It just comes out and you figure it out. And I saw her little face, made me work 10 times harder. Looking at that little face, mom, 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 it got my button gear. So over Tuesday and Wednesday, House members took 216 votes on the bill, with the second to last one taking place May 17th at 9.21 p.m. to give the bill second reading by a vote of 82 to 33 with two Democrats, Jackie Hayes of Dillon and Lucas Atkinson of Marion, joining Republicans, and Republican Jerry Carter of Clemson joining Democrats. The chamber adjourned and then gaveled in moments later for a new legislative day that let them pass the bill on third reading, sending it to the Senate. So the House passed this bill, you're saying. Is that what you're telling me, Gavin? Yes, the same bill that was before it last year in a special session, with the Senate saying, we can't pass your near-total abortion ban bill. How about you take an updated fetal heartbeat law? That bill, yes. The House said no, and that helped us get to where we are now. Now, you might remember Greenwood Republican John McCravey, who was vocally against that Senate bill, but he found solace in the reality of the legislative landscape, as well as the changes. Here's John McCravey. Well, look, you know... We've had a year of debate on this. The Senate uh, has, I'll try to put it as nicely as I can, uh, the Senate has tried uh, several times, and this last time I feel like there was a good faith effort to try to pass that bill. We were within one vote, you know, so, so when you're within one vote, it's worth a try. And so uh, we didn't quite make it this year. Uh, we don't want to adjourn this year. I think both bodies agree on this. We don't want to adjourn and become a destination state for abortions in the southeast. You know, North Carolina uh, just overrode their governor's veto. So right now, we're one of the most liberal states in the southeast when it comes to abortion. We need to change that. And so this is the best we can get this year, and that's what we're going to try to do here today. So, with the House in the rear view, the Senate still looks challenging, with the five women of the Senate, two Democrats and three Republicans, forming their block against this bill, including Charleston Republican Senator Sandy Sin, who opposed it before and said she and others will do it again. Here she is on CNN on Thursday. 
I'm going to oppose it. This will be the fourth time our body has taken up an abortion bill since September, and we are supposed to be part-time legislators. We have failed to pass any laws to help us combat fentanyl. There are many things that we need to do in our state. Instead, the overwhelmingly white male Republican majority is going to focus again and again on abortion. So we will, all of the five women will be fighting against this bill. The big nail biter is going to be whether the three men who stood with us last time, whether they will stick with us. So again, right now, the rumblings are that the Senate will vote not to concur with the House changes, which means it would go to a conference committee of three House and three Senate lawmakers to reach an agreement on what both chambers would support. If they don't come to an agreement like last year's special session when the House stood up the Senate and conference committee, then we'll be debating this issue over and over again. Right now, the focus will be on those Republicans who voted for this bill, but voted against the near-total abortion ban bill. Like we're saying, Senators Tom Davis, Henry Gustafson, Greg Hambry, Luke Rankin, and Katrina Shealy. We know both Gustafson and Shealy are against this bill as it stands right now. So there's going to be a lot to watch in the Senate next week. Now, should this bill pass to the governor for his signature, it will be immediately blocked in state courts, according to Planned Parenthood South Atlantic, and will end right back up before the state Supreme Court. Now you may think, well, how is this bill drastically different from the six-week law that the court struck down on constitutional privacy grounds back in January? One lawmaker told me, it's not, but the court is. 